ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to teaching you how to think for yourself in a world that is crazy. We just wrapped up a series all about nonsense. We're starting a brand new series, and you may notice that the Salty Pastor isn't here, but I, what are we calling you? The Pepper Pastor? Are we <laughs> with salt and pepper? Maybe a little less salty, Pastor. We the, didn't say that. Too. The l- slightly less salty, Pastor, um, but equally... Um, genius in studying biblical truths. He has so much to say, and this is the executive pastor here at Foothills Christian Church, Mr. Harvey Friesen. Yeah, good to be with you, Jesse, and good to be with all of you as well. I'm probably just like many of you. We listen to the podcast and uh, grow in our faith because of it, stretched by it for sure, so I'm honored to be here uh, with you today, Jesse. Thanks. And we're so happy to have him. Pastor Harvey is actually preaching this Sunday, and so we wanted to invite him on, have him kind of teach us about what he's thinking give he usually has so many notes of things he wants to preach about on a sunday so we thought well why limit him to 30 minutes on a sunday when we could bring him on the podcast and he could squeeze in even more knowledge and wisdom with us so well i brought all my notes with me today and i'm uh yeah i'm excited i love sharing the bible with people because part of it is what i realize is in my upbringing we got none of it. I mean, we got, and if we did get it, we got it in hasty moments where do this, as opposed to why do we, why do we learn this? Why do we appropriate this? Why do we live this? And so, as you notice, what I like to do is, is take those big theological truths and say, okay, now what, now what do we do? How do we walk in that? So we'll talk about that a little bit here in the sermon series. And then also I'll let you just sort of prime that. I guess we're starting yeah, this new series. Yeah, we got week. our new series coming up. So we just finished Nonsense. I think people really love that. But now we're going into a new series that we're going to be in for um, a while, but it's going to be so diverse, and it's called Get Up and Go. And it's really about um, taking these effects of lockdown where you've been forced to reduce what you're able to do, where you're at, what you can do with your life, and really just unlock that. There's so much unresolved conflict and maybe even exposed issues in our relationship. And this series is all about fixing those things, dealing with the trauma, getting up and getting out after we've been locked down for so long. Talk to us a little bit about what your thoughts were on this series as you and Pastor Doug came up with it. Yeah, I think that, I think you're right on with that. I think that we've been in this lockdown mode. We've been in it sort of if you will, reactive mode because COVID pushed and everyone had to react. And as you watched, you saw scientists and doctors and you saw schools and you saw school boards and you saw legislatures and you saw churches and you saw, well, businesses, everybody had to react to what was going on. I think that we're flipping the switch a little bit. I think that we're getting ahead of, you know, remember it used to be, you know, stop the curve and all like that. We've definitely gotten ahead of that. Right. And we're on a trajectory to move forward. And I think that as a church, we are proactive in how we teach. And one of the things that we wanted to do with this sermon series was, how do we get up and go again? How do we, because some of us, honestly, I I saw somebody the other day, I haven't seen them in 18 months and they had changed their hair. They looked all together different and (laughs) and they kind of, we had to kind of like reintroduce each other. And I would say this sermon series is about reintroducing yourself to a proactive life, being intentional in that life. How do we build it on biblical truth? How do we let the spirit of living God lead us? And then what does it look like to say, okay, we got the jersey on. Let's go get back in the game. Yes, love it. Well, I am privy to your outline as far as what you're preaching on, Pastor oh, sure. Doug's preaching on. And I noticed that you're preaching on three things um, in the next three weeks. You're doing intimacy, um, conflict resolution, and decision making. So tell us a little bit about what you're going to focus on during these three weeks that you're preaching about. You know, t- I mean, those are the broad terms, but yeah. what are you really focusing on? Well, if you remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Doug 
talked about, in fact, he did it sort of pastorally at the end of one of his sermons there in 1 John, where he said, look, some of you have had all this pent-up time together. You've had pent-up energy. You've offended each other. You've hurt each other. You've had bad moments. You've had mm. good moments. You've had all of that. Okay, so what, what would it look like if we went back and re-examined at the beginning of Get Up and Go, sort of a little relationship primer? What would it look like if we went back and said, okay, here's what intimacy looks like. The world says it looks like this. The Bible says it looks like this. Right. Then the second one is, uh, I, you know, I'm trying to be a little clever, and pardon me for trying to be funny about it, but I thought... We never not? we never discourage funny on the Sunday, okay. Pastor, Pastor Okay, Harvey. good, good. Well, <laughs> I, you know, here we are, Independence Day, right? And we want to celebrate what we were doing. And if you think about it, what happened was a group of people came over here, started the colonies, and said, we have a conflict, we have a problem. And so what they did was they declared some steps that they wanted to take, and they mm -hmm. had a declaration of independence. And so my view on it was, why not spend that day talking about conflict resolution? Because those patriots went and resolved the conflict. They said, we got a problem, you're owning us, we're not to be owned, we're going to go live our lives. Mm -hmm. So so we're going to do conflict resolution, which I think is such a vital thing in every relationship. I don't care, 360 in your life. There's always conflict, and it's not about avoiding it. It's about how do we resolve it in a good, biblical, and healing way. And then the third one what we're going to do is we're going to talk about decision-making because our lives are filled with decisions. I mean, you and I made 15, 20, 30 decisions before we got here today. That's true. And so how do you make decisions? What, what does decision-making look like from a biblical framework? And then how do we actually effectuate those decisions? And, and the real big, if you want to think about it in the background, what we're sort of trying to do is nonsense, how to make sense in a nonsense world. Pastor Doug preached on the Bible and science and all those kinds of things. And what we want to do in this process, too, is we want to address something that's kind of the underlying issue, and that is what keeps us from getting up and going is fear. Mm. And we want to escape fear, and we have a verse around that, actually. We want to talk about 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1 says this, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So he says to Timothy, I've trained you, I've raised you, I've shown you how to walk in the way of God. You're now leading a congregation. I want to teach you with these two epistles that he writes them. And then he says, I want to kindle afresh the gift of God in you. If you think about get up and go, it's kindling afresh the gift of God in us. And then he comes to verse 7, which is a power verse. If you don't have it underlined, get your marker out and underline This is 1 this. Timothy 1, oh, sorry. 6 and 7, right? 2 uh, second second Timothy. Timothy. Sorry, 2 so, sorry. Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says in verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. And a lot of us in our Bibles will have the word fear. Mm. God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity to be reactive, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. And so what we're going to do is we're going to focus on how do we have the spirit of power, how do we have a spirit of love, and how do we have a spirit of discipline when we approach the fears of our lives. So that's going to have a framework for the whole get up and go. Well, and I think what I love the most is you brought up that that section that Pastor Doug did the other um, two weeks back, I think, where he just asked people to kind of forgive each other. You know, yeah, we went through all this go. trauma and let go. It's like there's so much pent up resentment and we were so scared and there was just so much conflict whether it was internally at home or between you and what you felt like the political leaders or the the scientists or the doctors were doing like there's just so much and we were just in such a survival mode and now we're like okay we're out of it and i even feel it just at work it's like the church never really stopped at least right. foothills did didn't. right yeah absolutely. and it's like while people had to kind of shelter if they were if they were vulnerable waiting for the opportunity to be um get the vaccine and be safe or not get the vaccine whatever they needed to do the church was still going and i felt it the other day you know it's like we've i've kind of felt like we've finally kind of 
even to the ship, the ship isn't rocking anymore. And I just kind of got hit with this big wave of exhaustion because we've been going so hard for so long. And I think yeah. that was everybody. It's not just me at the church, but I think everybody's finally like, oh my gosh, there's just that breath. And then they're like, what happened in the last 18 months? And yeah. so I think, I think right. pivoting from, like you said, being reactive to, okay, we're through the, we're through the trauma, we're through the crazy where are we going and how do we get there and how do we do that with the people that we used to spend all this time with, with that we haven't seen in forever or that we had a huge conflict because of all of this crazy like how do we do that and so that's i love that you're starting us off in that mindset and then that that verse from second timothy is so strong because um it speaks to where we're at right now you know the bible is always kind of quoted as this thing of oh it's old people, old times, it has no value now. Their culture was different. It doesn't matter. But we, if I've learned anything from doing this podcast and listening to you and Pastor Doug preach, the Bible is true no matter what time period, what's going on. There's always something that will enlighten you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Bible is filled with fresh thoughts about how we go and live life. Even if a person just completely rejected God, they owe it to themselves to read the Bible from a sociological standpoint because you start in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3, you start to see these sociological truths mm -hmm. that play out that are very, very real. And so what we'll do is we'll take those biblical truths, apply them to relationships, and then talk about how they actually effectuate the life we want. Because here's the thing, whether it was in the first century or 1,000 years B.C., or whether it's now 2,000 years after the time of Christ, everyone wants, everyone wants to be loved. There's three questions everybody asks in their life. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going when it's over? Mm. And that second question, why am I here, begins with or often lands in this notion, I'm here to love and be loved. I'm here to serve and be served. I'm here to know and be known. We are not automatons. We are not these nameless, faceless human beings. We're not just numbers and statistics. We're actually humans, and we want to be loved. And so when we start talking about intimacy, which we'll talk about this weekend, the Bible has a lot to say about that. The Bible, in fact, if we if we really think about it, intimacy with God is the learning ground for having intimacy with others. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as you uh, sorry, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Think think about that just for a moment. That's a proactive model that says when you learn to love God with everything you have, take that template and apply it to your relationships. Mm -hmm. And we start to see a, a, a bedrock of all those things. And so this weekend, we're going to talk about what does the road look like to intimacy with God? And then how do you kind of, you remember those old books where you'd have like a layer that was sort of transparent, and then you would layer it over the picture and you'd bring that piece down and it would show a whole nother layer instead of things yeah. to it. Well, that, that idea is a relationship with God overlays under my relationship with others. And the great thing that holds us back, Jesse, and all that is fear. We're fear of re being rejected. We're fear of being uh, denied who we can be or who we really are in a relationship. We feel like we have to be somebody that we're not. One of the things we talk about with our kids, my wife and I was just having a conversation with one of my children this last week, and that is the measure of stress in a person's life generally is the distance between the facade we have to put up that we are mm. and who we really are. Well, that idea is, is that we're allowed to be who we are in Christ because my identity is now in Christ and I don't have to live with all these facades, which by the way, comes with a notion of a facade means a fake life. Well, none of us feel authentic in that and you're surely not going to have intimacy in a fake life, but the right. world teaches us how to have intimacy 
in actually fake ways. Mm. Well, let's let's move. So we've kind of given a broad overview of the whole series. We've kind of talked about where you want to go with your your next three weeks of power preaching on stage. <laughs> let's move into your this week's topic, which is intimacy. Right? Yes. Um, you've started giving us some of these thoughts, but. Tell me how you kind of stumbled into wanting to talk about this teaching and specifically how you see this teaching being so important for Christian marriages and relationships. Yeah, okay. Well, I so part of it is, uh, number one, when we come at the Bible, we come with the, you know, I can only look at the Bible through the sockets in my head. And so those... Obs- uh, uh, they haven't invented that technology yet where you can see other people's vision. You yet. know, we're trying, right? I, I mean, we're trying. It's not but, far off, I would assume. Yeah, but. <laughs> but I still only see the world through my own sockets. And when I look at the Bible... One of the great things that I look at is, is that I see a Bible where God is reaching out to me and saying, I love you and I made you to love me and to be intimate with me. And what we have to get past is that our world has, if you will, it has created a reduction where we've boiled everything down to intimacy must mean sex. I, I've married almost 400 couples now. And in, the, in that, I go through premarital counseling with them. And in that process, I'll always ask them, okay, tell me what does intimacy look like? And, and, and they kind of blush and start to look at you and get a little, you know, red-cheeked and whatever. And they're like, well, pastor, I mean, you know, I mean, that means, you know, sex. And, and I go, well, I, actually, it means so much more than that. And they kind of give you a little bit of a look like, oh, wait, are we going to go into a Bible lesson? And then I go, <laughs> well, actually, what I want to do is I want to actually unwind how God made you. Because, see, what, what we do is we get so many things out of disproportion because we just take what we go, well, it's obvious it was made for this. Well, no, that's a component of it, but there's so much bigger than that. And, and I think the other thing is when I was growing up, the, the notion of someone truly loving you and, and, and caring about you was hard for me from one side because my father was an alcoholic. And as mm. an alcoholic... It, you don't know which person's going to show up today. Is it going to be the one that likes you? Is it going to be the one that loves you? Is it going to be the one that hates you? Is it going to be the one that yells at you? And, and I think a lot of people have grown up in those kinds of environments. And what we do is this. We just hope to survive. Right. And when I came to the scriptures, when I came to the Bible, actually Pastor Doug discipled me right there when I was becoming a Christian. And he taught me that there's so much more, that there is actually true intimacy given to us by God. So in that intimacy, I... I I'm going to tell you a little story because I was trying to think of how we would talk about this. So my son Isaac was five foot three and 105 pounds when he was in ninth grade. A shorter fella, small build, etc. But he loved he loved sports. He loved athletics, and he was always kind of a smaller kid growing up through the ranks, if you will. Um, and he loved baseball. And so one of the things that he had to do to compete with the bigger guys was he had to learn how to actually play the game with the fundamentals and the foundations of how you play the game. So he learned how to throw the ball accurately and correctly. He learned how to hit the ball with his whole body. He had to have better technique than the guys that had just the innate talent, Uh, quote unquote. Yeah, well, you had talent guys and you had big people that just dominated the game. Well, Isaac had to earn his way by learning to play the game. Well, he went from 5'3", 105 pounds to six foot two, 185 pounds as a college pitcher. And what happened was he brought his fundamentals of the game, plus his talent of the game, and most importantly, his hard work at the game to it, and went all the way on forward and became a Division One coach, uh, Division One uh, pitcher, uh, played at the University of Hawaii, and then he went on and now he coaches a summer college team, and now he coaches camps all over Southern California and leads one of the best high schools in the country. Mm. And so, why was that? He learned how to do it right. And what I would say to you is, is that intimacy is one of those things where we 
pick up a ball and a bat and we go, well, I don't know, you just hit it like this. And the truth of it is, yeah, you can do that on raw talent. You can do that on, on whatever. But what happens is you don't learn how to actually live life in an intimate way. So how do we live life in a real and intimate way? We look at the scriptures and we look at how God intimately loved us and cares for us. And there's, you know, very few people ever read Song of Solomon. I don't know. You know, I was joke, you know, when a couple comes in for premarital, they get married. I go, okay, you can take the tape off of Song of Solomon and now you can open it up and read it. But there's some amazing language in there. And that, that book is read in two different ways. The first way it's read is this, is that this is a love letter from God to his people saying, I'm going to use it in expressive terms, how much you matter to me. Mm. And it's, it, I mean, it's steamy. I mean, you. Re- so I, I share this verse with couples out of uh, Song of Solomon, chapter five. There's a verse in there, and it says that th- this is what a lover is saying uh, to her husband. Okay, she says, "I was asleep." This is Song of Solomon five verses two and four. We'll talk about. Do we need to put a parental on. warning on this podcast? Yeah, we probably ought to go PG a little <laughs> bit here, you know. And that is, you know, watch out, you know. This is in the Bible, so but also be mindful. Uh, I was asleep, but my heart was awake. Think about that. I was asleep, but you, I was thinking about you. A voice, my beloved, was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is drenched with dew, my locks in the damp of the night. I've taken off my dress. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I dirty them again? I mean, you get, th- this is language of intimacy, mm-hmm. and it's between a husband and a wife, and God doesn't blush with in biblical intimacy between a husband and a wife. And I think God actually looks and says, yes, I made you. That's, I what, this, that's what it's for. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now, so, so that language uh, is this beautiful conversation of God saying how much he loved his people. And in that process, he said, okay, but there's much more than just physical love. And I would, what we're going to talk about this weekend is there's five kinds of, of five arenas of intimacy. And this comes out of Genesis chapter 2. It says in the scriptures there, and the two became one, they were, they, and they were naked, not ashamed, and the two became one flesh. Mm-hmm. And that verse or that word there in chapter 2 for oneness is actually a fivefold word in the Hebrew that talks about emotional oneness, spiritual oneness, relational oneness, intellectual oneness, and physical oneness. But what happens is, is that we have a culture that, that has not really developed the other four and just said, okay, physical oneness. Yeah, yeah, okay, let's get naked and not ashamed. Right. Well, there's so much more than that. And the, and the other side of it is men and women come at it differently as well. They approach the, the, the topic differently. Um, there's, a, there's a quote by a person named Barbara Cartland, and she said it like this. She said, among men, sex sometimes results in intimacy. Among women, intimacy sometimes results in sex. And it's this powerful picture that men and women look at it differently. And women who are listening to this podcast say, I, I, absolutely, I, I, I want to be intimate with my husband, but, but what I want to know is not only does he love me, does he like me? Not only does he like me, does he care about me? Not only does he care about me, does he show that in real and meaningful ways? Am I important in his life? Uh, the notion of affection is so extremely important in a relationship. And what, what happens, I mean, think about what's happened over COVID. So you had families that that were kind of locked in together and everybody became this unit and you stuck together and you spent all this time together. And 
what we also recognize in our lives is, is that we have a, gro- a broader picture of the number of people that matter in our lives. What happened was we got cut off from close friendships. What happened was we got cut off from the greater community of God. What happened was is that space and time and distance became between people in a lot of ways. And then we asked this question, was that beneficial? Well, I think that all the social scientists are saying it was not beneficial at all. We were meant to be together. Now, think about it for a second, is that being together is so much broader than physical intimacy. Being together is, hey, you're my friend. Being together is, you matter to me. Being together is, when you talk, uh, I listen. Right. One of the most powerful things that goes on in the interaction of a, of a human relationship is that we actually spend the time listening to someone else. I mean, you think about it, isn't that a great expression of love? Think about this, is that God looked at us and said, come and pray to me. Oh, I am the most powerful being in the universe, and I will sit and listen to you. Exactly. He's saying, I care so much that I'm speaking with all my creation. I'm speaking with the word of God. I'm speaking with the Holy Spirit of God. But it, it come to me, if my people will humble themselves and come and pray, I will heal their land. He says to him, if you'll come and speak with me, if you'll come and be intimate with me, I'll do that. I think that, uh, so in ministry, one of the experiences that I have is that in January and July tends to be a lot of a heavy counseling load, if you will, in ministry. And the reason for that is, 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 is and, and I'm very simplistic about this, but what I've noticed is, is that in January has followed Thanksgiving and Christmas these moments where we're supposed to all be together and like each other. And we have aunts and uncles and moms and the whole family's together. The whole family gets together and we have all this. And and then in January, like, man, I got to unpack all this because there was this nuance and this and that and whatever. And And because people have interactions with each other and then there's conflict, they don't resolve the conflict. And what happens is they feel themselves being less intimate. They feel like instead of it bringing us together, it took us apart. COVID was this extended time. Why, why July? Well, what happens in July is kids get out of school and now it's all this family stuff is going on and you like have to be more of a family together. Right. So it's in those moments in July where you go, okay, I, I got to have somebody help me unpack all this. Mm. COVID was an 18-month uh, December, 18-month uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and first month of June when the kids are out of school session where everybody had to be together. Nonstop. And, <laughs> yes. And Shadley and I talk about this a lot. Um, I, I, some people might have seen him in church, but Shadley over Memorial Day weekend had five of her dearest friends were here in Boise and they came and they stayed at our house and they went up to the mountains and they went on hikes and they went on walks along the green belt and they did all those sorts of things. And one of the life goals that Shadley and I had was that we would have lifelong relationships with other people that were meaningful to us. Because intimacy is never just satisfied in, in, in a one-to-one relationship with someone else. We were made to live in community, right? right? What, what do we do on the high point of our service every Sunday? We have communion around a common union. What's our common union? Our common union is that we are connected in Christ Jesus and we're all forgiven by him. Our community built on the common union of Christ forgives us, teaches us to then go and be what? Intimate with each other. And intimacy in that world is what? Non-sexual. Well, it's in those non-sexual world where we don't know how to become intimate because the world is so trained to say intimacy is sex, intimacy is sex. And God says intimacy is the notion of being safe, loved, cared for, cared about, and cared for in ways that have everything to do with intimacy and little to do with physicality. Mm. 
So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this weekend uh, on Sunday. And, and you ask, I guess, kind of where that comes from. I, I think that there's, there's some interesting pieces out of Scripture, and I'm going to read it. James, James chapter 4, verse 6 says this, But God gives us more grace. This is why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud but favors, gives favor to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. The beginning of intimacy is not attraction. The beginning of, a, of, of intimacy is humility. And people don't understand that. And they look at it and go, well, wait, wait, what does that mean? And, and I want to just pull out a very important point. Our culture has replaced or confused two words. We think we say the word intimacy when what we really mean is the word adrenaline. Okay? And, and, and think about this for a second. Is that we have said, wow, I'm attracted to that person. And what's going on? All these places in our body are shooting adrenaline out and all these things are going on, especially thinking in a teenage world, thinking in a young adult world, all those kinds of things. And we begin to associate that with a feeling. Adrenaline is not intimacy. Well, and I think that's what the culture portrays in so many of our entertainment, things Absolutely. like that, movies. It's all about this oh, we were out at a club and then I thought that person was hot and so it ended up in sex. Or, uh, you know, if they're attractive, I have this feeling towards them. It's never about anything deeper than skin level yeah. commitment. It's yeah. they, get my, they get my hormones going, they get my blood pumping, and that's all that matters. That's quote-unquote intimacy in the culture's perspective, and that's what they portray. So that's what, especially my generation and younger that's what we've basically grown up on i think yeah. well and you know to shock you a little bit is that the people who are in their 70s and 80s grew up in the same culture as you did uh it's just we didn't have social media to splay it out in front of everybody else right that usually happened in quieter places with, <laughs> with fewer eyes and you didn't see all of that action you know out in front of everybody else to see but it was always going on it's going on in my shadley and i's generation your generation younger generations etc it's just it's become so much more visible today right and so you know we can't hardly do anything without it being published on insta or facebook or whatever i i thought it was interesting in my research for this for this weekend and uh, someone who was helping me research for this this weekend noted that that facebook has migrated into being fake book and that is is that we build a facade of who we really are and it's not really who we are so we're not actually getting to know each other and i want to make one very important thing here and that is this is that this weekend sermon and, and everything we're going to talk about is not about just the the husband and wife relationship of intimacy single person will come to this uh, study this weekend and it will be about learning relational intimacy in a 360 degree sphere that includes all the components of it. So this is not a this is not a marriage. This isn't something I, I'm going to show up to and tune out no, on because no, 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 I'm no. not in a marital covenant. <laughs> Here's the only person that can show up this weekend and tune out, and it's the person who says, "You know what? I, I don't I don't want to love. I don't want to be loved." Well, tell me who that person is. I don't see those people. I and here's what I would say is that the person that says that usually had this going on in their lives. They went to a high point of adrenaline attraction to someone else or adrenaline, uh, if you will, infatuation with someone else. It was either received or not received. And what they did was is that they mistook adrenaline and the way that our culture says it, sort of that bar scene or setup scene you were talking about earlier, and it says, oh, that's what I was after. And then they expect a certain outcome to happen. And what happens is that outcome rarely happens but in the movies right. or on a sitcom or in a whatever, right? But they get some form of all of that, and then they chase that feeling the rest of their lives 
only to be what? Let down. And if you do just chase feelings all your lives, there's this thing called diminish, the law of diminishing returns. You get that feeling one time, well, now it's got to be a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. It's and the same thing more. we see with drug use. Yeah, 100%. And you know what's so weird is, is, is this goes on among men. I'll show you how this goes on among men. Is that what happens is, is that adrenaline with men is associated with success. And a lot of times that success is in vocational success. One of the things in, in Genesis chapter 3 is that we see the outcomes of the brokenness of sin. What are the outcomes for Eve? Eve has two outcomes, uh, and it's this. Is that one, she will have pain in childbirth. I've been at four of those. It's still in play, okay? so <laughs> Still pain, occurs. Still occurs. Pain in childbirth. And then it says there's a switch that happens, a very powerful switch that happens in the text. Yet, and the man will rule over the woman. That is not what God intended. But what, what happens is, is that it says, yet the man will rule over the women. And what is that going on? Is that it is in a, in a man's world where a man's body is built bigger than a woman's body, etc. is that it will become a dog-eat-dog world and become a power world as opposed to a love-oriented world. And mm-hmm. what will happen is, is that men will take advantage of that. Okay? So that's, that's one of the first ones. The man's repercussions, note this, the women's repercussions are relational. The man's repercussions are, by the sweat of your brow, you'll go back to work, and from that, your work will become work now, and it will grow thorns and thistles, and you'll have to weed the garden, not just enjoy the garden. So work came in, not, not, not work as in, as in a whole, but work as in it will no longer be just simple and easy and a blessing. It will come with work. Right. and pain and difficulty and lack of, if you want to call it this way, stretch the word for a minute, is it won't have relational harmony, i.e. it won't have relational intimacy. It will come with backbreaking stuff. The second one is you will die. The man, Think about this for a second. Is that the woman's repercussions are relational. The man's repercussions are vocational. Again, I said earlier, if nobody cares about the Bible, at least read it for the sociology and go, you know what, that's exactly right. Because what does a woman do? She finds her meaning in relationships, and men find their meaning in work. And so go back to the men thought for a minute. So what happens is men want to be intimate with other men, and how do they do that? They share their successes. Well, this last year and a half have been a lot of two-by-fours to the face for a lot of business owners and a lot of people that lost their job and a lot of people that lost their identity in their work and a lot of people who lost their identity and success. Well, can I still be friends with a person who is this level successful and maybe I'm now only this level successful? Right. Well, yeah, if the relationship is built more, uh, built on more than just the, the superficial adrenaline of our world, a friend is a friend is a friend, right? They'll mm. stick with you. And you know what's been said during this period of time too? When difficult things happen, this, this line has become ever more important. You find out who your real friends are. Right. That is actually a reverse look at intimacy. You find out who you are truly knowing and knowing, be, being known by, who you love and who loves you, who you serve willfully and who will willfully call you up and say, hey, Ken, is there anything I can do for you? Right? And who celebrates you and you celebrate as well. It's what, what happens is, is that our truest desire to know and be known is shown when hard things happen. Right. And we've had a lot of hard things. So intimacy among men, intimacy among parents and their kids, one of the things that Shadley and I spend a lot of time on, in fact, Shadley is doing this with one of our daughters uh, this week, is she's going on a two-day uh, overnight hike with our daughter. Fun. And they're gonna, yeah, they're going to be together. And why is that? Because it's a part of the intimacy of being together. Remember the freezing line, right? We pray together, play together, stay together. Mm-hmm. So they're praying together, playing together, and staying together. And the whole thought of it is intimacy is so much more. Again, let me say those five again. Intimacy is emotional, spiritual, relational, intellectual, and physical. 
for a man, one of the greatest things that they want to do is they want to share their ideas with their wives. Right. And one of the hardest things is, is that sometimes when we share our ideas with our wives, it creates fear in our wives because they're going, wait, you're going to quit your job. You're going to do this. You're going to do it. Or maybe what he just simply wants to do is say, gosh, I've been thinking about this and I'm made for this and I just have no other person that I trust enough. By the way, what we're going to talk about, so remember I said earlier, uh, to share that with. By the way, I don't trust enough people, so I'm going to share it with you. To share your ideas with someone is a phenomenally intimate idea, a thought, mm. right? So, so we'll talk about this, is that intimacy begins with vulnerability or humility, which then leads to the next step, which is respect. And what we do is, is God, we respect God. It says in the scripture is that, that friendship with God is reserved for those who revere him. And the scripture in there, that word is, can be translated fear God or respect God or revere God. Well, think about this for a second. How many people are you intimate with, Jesse, that, that, that you don't respect or they don't respect you? And you know how respect is done actually in the human world? So respect and reverence is what we do with God. In the human relationship, respect is shown in one word. If I respect you, I am unselfish with you. And one of the first places that I show respect for you is I'm unselfish with my praise and encouragement and blessing of your life. Because to do those things says, I'm secure in myself, but I want to show you my intimacy with you. And that is, when you do something really well, I can't wait to tell you. I might send you a note. I might call you. I might have something really cool to celebrate it with you. That's the second one. So humble and vulnerable then leads to respect and unselfish, which then leads to, in the, in, the, in the relationship with God, leads to a place where we have faith in God. Because, so think of it like this. Humil- vulnerability with God leads to reverence for God, which then leads to us having more faith in God. Because here's what happens. As we begin to go in that pattern with God, we start to see his character being played out more in our lives, and we literally begin to build more faith that what God said in John 3.16 leads to, leads to John 3.17, leads to John 3.18, leads to John chapter 20, where you get to, the, to verse 20 or chapter 20, uh, and you see the apostle uh, Peter there uh, went back to his job. Right. After Jesus was crucified, he goes back to his job, and Jesus shows up at the lake and does what? This most beautiful, intimate friendship thing. He cooks some breakfast, and he, and he signals in. He says, hey, come on in. And, and, and John, uh, sorry, Peter looks out off the boat, and he recognizes it's Jesus, and he jumps in the water mm. and swims to him. That's a symbol of intimate friendship. Right. Well, where does that happen in our world today, Jesse? I mean, our world is built with, I compete with you, you compete with me, and we are here to scrub out as and scratch out as much as we absolutely can. And you start to ask yourself the question, is that really my friend? Right. Right? And, and, and in a marriage relationship where that tends to happen is, is we ask ourselves, man, do I still feel like I'm in love with you? I mean, I've, I've heard a number of people say, yeah, I just kind of fell out of love with them. What they're really saying to me is the adrenaline just doesn't, you know, happen anymore. Right. Well, there's so much more than just that physical attraction that creates all that. And then if you take that to the furthest end, by the way, in a, in a couple's relationship, it's it, so with God, it's vulnerability leading to respect or fear or reverence of God, which leads to faith in God, which leads to being a child of God. In a relationship of intimacy with someone else, it looks like this, is that I have humility with you. I have unselfishness with you. I have honesty with you. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of the most valuable things in any relationship is the ability to be honest with someone else. You, you, you know how people will say this is they'll go, Hey, look, I'm going to be honest with you. 
And what they're really not saying is, is I've been lying to you up until this point. Right. What they're really saying is, I trust you enough to where I'm going to be a little more vulnerable with you. And what, I, what they're really saying is, can I be transparent with you? And they're almost asking this indirect question. When I'm transparent with you, will you take advantage of that? Right. Now that happens in husband and wife relationships. That happens in parent to child relationships. That happens in business relationships. You know, one of the hardest things, people don't realize this, one of the hardest things to do in our day and age is to be a business owner. Because everybody looks at them and says, wow, you know, they make all the money and they don't. And, and, and you know, one of the most lonely places in the world is leadership of any level. Our, we're called on in scripture to pray for our leaders, right? Our political leaders like that. One of the most lonely things in the world is to be a governor of a state. One of the most lonely things in the world is to be a legislator who's trying to work out the right things to do for the populace. One of the most lonely things in the world is to be a business owner who's trying to create jobs for 10, 15, 20, 30, 50, 100 other people. And in that position, they where who do they go to when they have difficult hours? Right. Uh, how, how do they do any of that, right? Well, which is why those fears of family are so important and those spheres of other brotherly and sisterly relationships are so important a woman who's a ceo of her own company who does she go and share any of those things with other than someone she's in, uh, intellectually intimate with but does it in a way where there is honesty and trust being built and once you get to that last place then what happens is is that you learn to be naked and not ashamed intellectually spiritually, relationally. Think about how hard it is sometimes, even in all of our Bible studies, to become intimate with another group of people because what you're doing is you're being vulnerable, you're being unselfish, you're being honest because that's so hard to right. do. Yep, yep. And what culture can survive without honesty? I don't, I don't know. I mean, think about it. I mean, the Scripture says, be careful lest you devour one another. So that's kind of an overview of what we're going to try to do. This There's weekend. a lot of layers that I was not expecting in this whole topic. Yeah, so I'm excited yeah. for you to preach on Sunday. Um, we did a great overview of talking about where this series is going, what you're going to be preaching on this Sunday and for the next three weeks. Um, this is actually episode 99 of right, the Salty right. Pastor. So this next episode will be episode 100. Pastor Doug and I are going to kind of talk about where we came from, where we're going, and Love some it. things that we want to get to um, in expanding the um, purpose of the Salty Pastor. So Hopefully you guys will join us on Thursday and obviously join us on Sunday to um, hear kind of Pastor Harv's overall purpose behind this topic of intimacy. You kind of got a brief preview. You got some of the tidbits that may not make it on Sunday, but you got um, so much more to say to us, I'm sure, on Sunday, and we're so excited to hear about it. Well, thank you, Jesse. It was an honor to be here, and thank you for having me on with uh, podcast number 99. Appreciate 99. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you on Thursday.